And Donald Trump tapped into this idea of make America great again. There, there, were, there was times of economic opportunity. Wages rose until the 1970s. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will This is the Ruben Report, and ain't nothing wrong with that, brothers and sisters. It's April 13th in the year of the Lord, 2023. We are live streaming on the Rumble, the YouTube, and the locals. We've got a post-game show, as we do every day, for you over at RubenReport.Locals.com. And I'm going to bust out this accent whenever I deem it necessary to make a point, you see. I want to make a point about the accent real quick because a lot of people enjoyed it yesterday. That is my fake Democrat accent. And we have now found so many videos of Democrats like AOC and our cold open just where they go to different places and they talk to different constituencies. They completely change their accent. It's the most pandering dribble you can possibly imagine. So we've got a whole bunch of Hillary ones and things that we'll show you over the next couple of days and weeks. Uh, but the reaction to the accent that I did yesterday was, was overwhelmingly positive, but people said, it was, uh, it was half preacher, half preacher. It was half Bill Cosby and half Foghorn Leghorn. Now you might say, well, that's, that's three halves, Dave. That doesn't make sense. But that's how overwhelming the reaction was to this thing. So it is a fine line between being a preacher and telling people you must vote Democrat because the Republicans are racist. And then Bill Cosby, who talks like this, you see, Theo, don't vote for the Democrats. Or foghorn leghorn, I said, I said, girl, boy, what you doing over there? I hope you're all proud of what we're doing around here, okay? Anyway, we got a big show for you today. Uh, you know this AOC chick? I, I really don't like her. I don't like her. I don't like a lot of these people. Try not to get too bogged down in how much I don't like them because I've got a good life. You know what I mean? I got a good job. I got a good family. I live in a great state. Have good friends. Everything's just fine, but these people just do not stop the endless insanity and they're getting worse and worse. You know, lately I've been telling you how they're, they're just not going to stop. And I think we really do have to accept that. It's important. There, there is no defeating the woke and this, this horrific collectivist mind virus that has infected so many young people and, and, you know, rampaged through our institutions and all of this stuff. There is no defeating them in like, there's a final battle and now we are done with them. They are always going to keep encroaching on things. What we can do is protect ourselves you know, build a force field around what's good, push them away from our lives as much as possible and build new things that they can't infect, right? Build better things than we built uh, over the last couple of decades because we maybe didn't realize or the people before us didn't realize that a, a virus like this uh, could so infect the host uh, the way it has. Uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about sort of the modern Democrat blueprint, which is lawless and crazy and show you some AOC clips in a moment, uh, versus a winning blueprint, which really is just based in some old documents that a bunch of guys with white wigs uh, somehow scribbled out a couple hundred years ago. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, let's start with AOC, though, because you may have heard uh, that last week a Texas court ruled that the FDA approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone, hope I pronounced that right, uh, 
uh, would be blocked, that they would not be allowed to sell it anymore. Uh, this is what the court ruled. Courts decide what's legal and what's illegal. Uh, this is obviously following the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Uh, and here is AOC talking to Anderson Cooper over on CNN, uh, saying that we should ignore the court ruling, which I'm pretty sure would be a violation of the Constitution, but don't take my word for it. Here's AOC. There has been thought, I believe, given to this. Senator Ron Wyden has already issued statements, uh, for example, advising what we should do in a situation like this, which I concur, which is that I believe that the Biden administration should ignore uh, this ruling. I think that we, you know, the courts have the legitimacy and they rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. And what they are currently doing is engaged in an unprecedented and dramatic erosion of the legitimacy of the courts. They, it, it is the justices themselves through the deeply partisan and unfounded nature of these rulings that are undermining their own enforcement. So you're saying the Biden administration should ignore this court, but what does that look like? What does that actually mean? You know, I think the interesting thing when it comes to a ruling is that it relies on enforcement. And it is up to the Biden administration to enforce, to choose whether or not to enforce such a ruling. She is so unbelievably stupid that it makes it hard for me to do my job. Um, okay, couple things here. First off, the courts rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. Yes, they do. The courts decide what is legal. I'm going to give you some standard old school constitutional definitions of separation of powers in just a moment. Um, that she would call the courts deeply partisan. Can you think of anyone, truly, can you think of anyone in American politics more deeply partisan than AOC? No, you might say Gavin Newsom. You, I don't, maybe you'd say Trump on the other side, something like that. But like, she, she is the very definition of partisan. The, the courts, for the most part, it's not to say that individual judges don't have their own slant, right? Sometimes we have more, look at the Supreme Court, we have more liberal thinking judges and more conservative thinking judges. Uh, but just because you don't like the ruling of the court doesn't mean that you, in this case AOC, from another branch of government, just get to ignore what that branch of government did. That's deeply unconstitutional. But, and Anderson Cooper knows that. So his follow-up question should have been, hey, lady, uh, you know that's against the Constitution, but he kind of whitewashed it for her. Uh, she continued here with Dana Bash. You just heard uh, me ask the secretary about was something that you called on the Biden administration to do, which is just to simply ignore the court ruling. Um, that's a pretty uh, stunning position if you think about it in the, in the abstract about the notion of just ignoring uh, a judge's position. So I, my question is, when this case is resolved by the Supreme Court, should the administration follow that decision if that decision ends up banning this abortion drug? Well, you know, I, I want to take a step back and, and dig into the grounds around ignoring this preliminary ruling as well. There is an extraordinary amount of precedent for this. There is a term known as agency non-acquiescence. The courts rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. And when they make a mockery of our system, a mockery of our democracy, and a mockery of our law, as the as what we just saw happen in this Mifepristone uh, ruling, then I believe that the, that the executive branch and we know that the executive branch has an enforcement discretion, especially should, should, in light of a contradicting ruling coming out. Unbelievable that she could call the 
judicial branch making a mockery, what did she say, a mockery of democracy. She is a living, walking, breathing mockery of democracy. Also, the way Dana Bash frames that question, she basically, she says, it's a pretty stunning position in the abstract of the notion. Have you ever heard anything more perfect from just like a useless CNN anchor in the abstract of the notion? We don't need the abstract of the notion. You are calling for one branch of government, the executive branch, to not abide by the law that the judicial branch is passing. That's not the abstract of the notion. It's pretty flat out right in front of your face. I believe at this point, AOC, by calling, by publicly, as a member of Congress, publicly calling for Congress, and in specifically she's calling for the Biden administration, the executive branch. I don't know if AOC knows this. She was confused about it a few, a few years ago. We have three branches of government. I'll lay them out for you in just a few moments. Um, I don't know if she knows this. Well, she does, I know she wasn't sure a few years ago how many branches of government there are. But by her as a congressperson in one branch of government calling on another branch of government, the executive branch, to ignore the decisions of the third branch, the judicial branch, I think she's in a violation of her oath of office. I want you to listen. We found it. It's only 32 seconds long. Here is AOC taking her oath of office, being sworn in a couple of years ago. And listen, listen to the words that she is swearing to abide by. Solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I do. That you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. I do. That you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. I do. And that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. I do. Congratulations. Does a woman who is now telling you that she's gonna have one branch of government ignore the rulings of another and, and encourage a third branch of government to go ahead and do that, does she seem like she is protecting her oath of office to defend the Constitution? I don't think so. Also, I recommend you go back and watch that later and just watch her body language and the blinking when she keeps saying I do. There is something so deeply inauthentic about this LARPing actress pretending to be this socialist radical. Uh, for the record, uh, my call for her to be, there's no, you don't impeach a member of Congress, but you can remove them. You would need two thirds of, of the vote in your respective chamber to remove a U.S. Congresswoman from office. That's in the Constitution, the thing that she's not that interested in protecting. Uh, on USA.gov, they do lay out the three branches of government. I know you guys know this, but in case AOC is watching, I thought we could make this real easy for her. Uh, AOC, the legislative branch, that's what you're in as you're part of Congress. That makes laws. So you guys write laws out and you hope to pass them. The executive branch signs them, and that means that they're then carried out. The executive branch, that's what they're doing over there. That's Joe Biden. And the judicial branch evaluates the laws. They make sure that the laws that you guys wrote, that the elderly man signed, are actually legal. We have this separation of powers so that we have a balance between these three branches of government. So they're constantly checking each other, right? So we have a, a situation where no branch becomes too powerful because uh, several hundred years ago, uh, the people who came to this country and created these incredible institutions wanted to leave people who were controlling them. Kings, for example, King George, you might want to Google him. Uh, and we didn't want 
uh, taxation without representation once we were here and we wanted to disperse power and not have it centralized. Uh, even the White House, the official White House website, you know, they're on the web right now. Uh, they also explain how this all works. Uh, this is from the White House. Federal courts enjoy the sole power to interpret the law, determine the constitutionality of the law, and apply it to individual cases. So that is what this Texas judge did. Now, if AOC cared about the Constitution, which she sort of swore to protect, what she would be doing is they would be challenging this in court, which they will do. And they, the hope would be that it would, for them, would be that this would get up to the Supreme Court where they would make the ultimate, the supreme decision on this thing. But what she wants is not to deal with all of that. I mean, that's just a pain in the ass. You have to get all these people involved. What she would prefer is to whip up her mob, the Democrat mob, and what they could then do is force the president to just not defend the Constitution. She would love that. And Joe Biden doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So that would be possible. So I think we've sort of laid out a portion of the Democrat blueprint right now. You understand this. They get their foot soldiers out there to burn down cities when they want. They defund police when they want. Uh, they constantly use the education system to teach shame about America and teach neo-racism and to chop kids' genitals off and to not teach them basic civics so that the average idiot that's watching CNN might watch that and go, oh, you know, I'm not happy about this ruling with this abortion pill. And I, I agree, AOC, uh, the president shouldn't enforce that law. I'm not even taking a position for the purposes of this conversation. I'm not even taking a position on the abortion pill or what is legal or not legal. This is what a court said and we have to abide by the laws. And if you don't like it, as I said, there's a system in place to have higher courts check that out. But the modern Democrat strategy is to ignore the rule of law and constantly and mercilessly shove their agenda down our throats. It never stops. And the problem with the Republicans, and I often say you don't have to be a Republican, but you cannot be a Democrat. The reason I say you don't have to be a Republican is because often, more than not, the Republicans uh, only deploy a reactive defensive strategy, if at all, and we end up getting dragged more towards the socialist dystopia that the Democrats seem to want. Uh, there does seem to be, surprise, surprise, here we go. There does seem to be one Republican who is uh, laying out a blueprint that one actually combats what the Democrats are doing. And two, I would say more importantly, paves a popular and successful path to an active pro-freedom agenda, which is actually what most people want. You know, I spoke last night at the uh, Young Republicans of Miami, uh, did an event for the Young Republicans of Miami. And here in Miami, a lot of young Republicans happen to be from Cuba or Venezuela, countries like that. So they are either first, second, sometimes third generation immigrants whose they or their parents or their grandparents fled communism. Their love of freedom, it was such a wonderful night. Their love of freedom is so deeply embedded because they fled the crap that AOC and the Democrats are trying to bring in. They are trying to import into this country. AOC, whoever it was in her family that came here, you know, her abuela, who she left in a rotting building somewhere, uh, and then wouldn't, you know, the, the daily, do you remember the story? What was it in Puerto Rico, right? There was the hurricane in Puerto Rico. AOC puts up a picture like a week later of her abuela, grandma in Spanish, uh, in this like rotted out apartment. So AOC apparently didn't do anything to help her. The Daily Wire guys, how much did they, they did a GoFundMe for AOC's abuela, a couple hundred grand, I think. AOC wouldn't take it. So AOC doesn't even like her abuela that much. But if she can force the government to take more of your money to do what she wants with it, then she's cool with it. Anyway, the point of all of this 
is that we have one side, you get it. They, they simply don't care about the rule of law. Imagine if there, where is an elder statesman amongst the Democrats? Where, where is Bill Clinton, let's say, who should be the, the Democrats? He doesn't have to be the leader of the party anymore as an ex-president, but he could be an elder statesman right now. And every now and again, he could go, boy, you Democrats, uh, can I do a Bill Clinton accent? Boy, you Democrats, can we all not have sex with that woman? And also, can we abide by the Constitution of the United States and let's not, you know, infringe on one branch of government just because we're doing another branch of government? That wasn't terrible. I could work on that one a little bit. But they have nobody. There's nobody mature there anymore. There's nobody honest there anymore. They're all going all in on this. And then you can see they have a media when AOC literally is calling for a branch of government to ignore another branch of government, right? It, that is against the Constitution. It is against her oath of office. Anderson Cooper, well, I, well, that's a, and then Dana Bash, well, the notion of the abstract, these people are all clowns. So, okay, how do we remove ourselves from the clown show? You know what we have to do? We have to put people in office who are clear and competent and have a sense of what the actual mission is. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Ron DeSantis here in Florida. Check this out. What I see around the country with Republicans is they started to develop a culture of losing. And it's almost like this is something we saw it in Wisconsin with this Supreme Court race. We saw it with a very disappointing midterm elections. In Florida, we have a culture of winning. We have a culture of execution and we have a culture of delivering results. And you need to be able to win. It's not easy. When you stand for the right things in this day and age, man, you are gonna have a lot of blowback. Leadership isn't cost free. Execution and delivering results. What do I keep saying? We want clarity, competency, and communication. That's exactly what we're doing. He's executing on the things he said he would do one at a time. If you're watching this right now, and even for the, for the Trump people that are a little more annoyed at me at the moment, because I've been a little more critical of Trump. And again, I might vote for Trump. <laughs> I basically like Trump. I just don't like the attacks, but okay. Tell me something. If you're a rabid lefty, if you're watching the show, or you're a Trump person watching the show, tell me something that DeSantis set out to do that he has not done. He has gone ahead and done all of it. And by doing it, and by not caring about the polls, just going ahead and doing what was right, as you know, he went from under 40,000 vote victory in 2018 to over 1.6 million victory in 2022. That's big. That is big. So if you pick the fights properly, you will also, and this is the other interesting part, you all know this, there's a reason why your Democrat or lefty or liberal friends are so crazed. They're so crazed because they're not connected to reality. If you don't understand the biological differences between a boy and a girl, if you don't understand that this new leftist racism is just a repurposed version of old school racism, so many of the things, if you don't understand why the Democrats run around pretending they care about poor people, but it's all of the cities that Democrats run that poor people have it the worst and homelessness is the worst and drug use and all those things, they're so disconnected from reality, but what they do, but, but, but we're nice, we're, but, but we give other people's money to things, we're very nice. So these people become endlessly hysterical. And speaking of endlessly hysterical, this is absolutely hilarious. This is actually incredible. I honestly thought it was a joke when I saw it. Uh, there is a nonprofit organization here in Florida called Florida Equality. They're some sort of gay, LGBTQI, two-spirit, whatever organization. And they have issued a statement as of yesterday. This is, this is powerful stuff, guys. 
they have issued in red letters, red letters, all caps. It doesn't get scarier than that. That's the big one. Breaking, today, we took the extraordinary step of issuing a travel advisory, warning the risks posed to the health, safety, and freedom of those considering short or long-term travel or relocation to the state. I wanna be very clear about something, guys. If you are a Democrat or a lefty or a liberal, take their advice, take their advice, don't come here. We've got this thing called freedom. You make up your own mind when you wake up in the morning on how you wanna live and they're not gonna lock you in your house here and your kids are gonna go to school and we're gonna do it all right here. But I know that's scary to you people. So I really want you to heed the warning of Florida, Florida equality. You know, the funny thing about it is Florida equality. The, the group is called Florida Equality. So I would assume they want equality for all Floridians, which we have, which we have. I didn't bother showing you, there's like a six tweet thread of that where they just try to scare the hell out of everybody. Once again, guys, Florida is not coming for the gays and they are not coming even for the trans or anything else. What Florida is doing, I don't even have to give it to you. You know what Florida is doing and it's all good. Okay, so what is the solution for Republicans? You know what it is? It's doing what DeSantis is always doing, which is don't look at the polls, just do the right thing. It's really as simple as that. My view is that I may have earned 50% of the vote, but that entitled me to wield 100% of the executive power, and I intended to use that to advance a bold agenda. I intended to use that to fulfill my campaign promises, and to do that, uh, I resolved at the beginning of my term no polls. I am not going to just put my finger in the wind and try to chase poll results. Uh, I'm going to set the rudder to true north, uh, and I'm going to do that. And I know there's all kinds of stuff that happens on the daily news cycle. I'm not going to let that divert me on our, off a of course. A poll uh, can tell you a snapshot in time, but it does not tell you what the results would be if a leader sets out a vision, executes on that vision, and then delivers results. Leaders are not captive to polls. Leaders get in front of the polls and then shape public opinion. And that's what we said we would do. Guys, isn't that what we've been waiting for? I, I know I show a lot of DeSantis clips, obviously, and I'm, and I'm constantly talking about Florida, and obviously only a small portion of my viewers live in Florida. But isn't this what we've all been waiting for at the national level, right? Like, we've all been waiting for someone competent and functional and who's above the fray and has a true vision and who can accomplish it and has hired the right people around them. We've been waiting for this person. Now we'll see if he makes that step towards the presidency, but even if he doesn't, and I truly mean this, even if, first off, if he doesn't and he ends up just remaining as my governor here in Florida, that will be just fine for me. I truly, truly mean that, I really do. And by the way, last night when I was at this Young Republicans in Miami thing, we did a whole bunch, there were a bunch of questions about it. I brought it up during my talk about the Trump and DeSantis thing. Everyone agreed, as long as we don't destroy each other right now, it's all good. There can be some fighting. People don't really want the, the endless sort of over-the-top attacks by Trump, but everyone's kind of agreeing. And everyone there in Miami was like, yeah, if, he, if the worst case scenario is that Ron DeSantis stays as our governor, all right, fine. But, but the reason I show these clips over and over and, and do so much about this is wherever you live right now, whether you live literally in California or whether you live in Kansas or whether you're watching this from Sweden or freaking Mexico, 
this is the type of leader that we want. That's what you want to hear, right? Someone who's doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And then what happens? The numbers bear it out. So check this out. Uh, this is from Interactive Polls. It's a little something on Florida registration over the years. When DeSantis came in, so this is November of 2018 during his first election for governor, Democrats had a 263,000 advantage uh, over Republicans in terms of registered voters. Uh, two years later, that had dwindled to 97,000. About a year later, the Republicans suddenly were up 43,000. Uh, and as of this month, the Republicans are up 454,000, which is a net gain of 718,000 registered voters in four years. So if you do the right thing, if you stand up for freedom, if you say, hey, here are the 10 things that I want to do, and I went ahead and did them, people will reward you. And then you get a cycle that starts working. You get an engine that starts moving and you start freeing more people. And then what happens? You get crazy leftist lunatics like Gavin Newsom showing up in Florida, telling people they're not free. And everyone looks at him like, what the F are you talking about? And you get crazy nonprofit far left organizations like Equality Florida warning people not to come to the freest place in the nation where nobody cares what your gender or sexuality is. We care if you're a decent person and if you have something to add to society, we will freaking welcome you. And, and as I did last night, I credit the OG Floridians who deserve all the credit for doing it right so that the, the new people could come here and, and be humbled and awed by what you guys set up for all of us. And now it is incumbent on us to fight for it. So I wanna go a little further on this and then, and then uh, we do have a rubenreport.locals.com community Q&A. How do you deploy this DeSantis model? Because it's not just politics, right? I've got a tweet here from Clay Travis. You may have heard of this. I think I, I mentioned it as a throwaway on yesterday's show. Uh, but Clay says here, NPR, National Public Radio, announces it will no longer use Twitter because Elon Musk has correctly pointed out that taxpayer dollars are used to support NPR. It's amazing how quickly left-wingers run for the hills when they actually face scrutiny. NPR should just build its own internet. That's how this works right. Uh, and here's the statement below from NPR. NPR's organizational accounts will no longer be active on Twitter because the platform is taking actions that undermine our credibility by falsely implying that we are not editorially independent. We are not putting our journalism on platforms that have demonstrated an interest in undermining our credibility and the public's understanding of our editorial independence. We are turning away from Twitter, but not from our audiences and communities. There are plenty of ways to stay connected and keep up with NPR's news, music, and cultural content. Uh, well, this Elon Musk guy, you know this Elon Musk guy running Twitter, he saw that. And here's what he tweeted. NPR literally said federal funding is essential to public radio on their website, now taken down, what hypocrites. So the point is guys, whether it's DeSantis doing the right thing in Florida or Elon Musk appropriately labeling NPR state-sponsored media, which they had on their own freaking website until they took it down a couple of days ago. If you call them out and do the right thing, People start coalescing around that. That is the winning model. That's what we got to keep going with. Be above the fray. I'm going to do, a, uh, I'm going to try to do 
uh, an even better job. I think I do a basically decent job of it, uh, but I'm going to try to stay above the fray when it comes to some of the uh, the Trump DeSantis attack stuff uh, because I want. It was very clear to me last night being in a room with all of these uh, these good people that we don't want to add fuel to this fire. And, and you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you, for those of you that are offline a little bit more, you may not have noticed, Trump has really shifted his tone even in the last couple of days. I think he realized that the attacks on DeSantis are not working, that just screaming that he's a globalist and a rhino, it's not working. So I think there are good things that could happen there because then have an honest fight, not like the crazy fight. But the point is, and this is true for DeSantis, it's true for Elon Musk, I would argue it's true for me and it's probably true for you. If you make positive change, you get more popular. And once you get, it's not because it's a popularity contest, but once you start doing the right thing, it becomes infectious. Other people start doing it, right? And then a whole bunch of us do it. it. And then maybe, just maybe, we could turn this whole freaking thing around. I think it's possible, but let's get to some of your questions. RubenReport.Locals.com, community Q&A, here we go. Uh, Cam says, what are your thoughts on the recent information regarding the research of putting mRNA genomes in grain, vegetables, and fruit, uh, fruit, seeds, and plants? This will affect cattle, chickens, and eventually humans because of what they eat and what we eat. We could be receiving an injection of mRNA whether we want to or not. Glenn Beck did a program on this topic on Tuesday. Your thoughts? So I read a quick article on this the other day, and I, I want to definitely do more on this for sure. But yes, it sounds like mRNA, uh, which is which is gain of function research. So they manipulate the research. They they manipulate the research. Well, they do manipulate the research, but that's something else. They manipulate viruses to change what the virus is going to do, and that's how we got COVID. Uh, it does sound like some of this is going into cattle feed and a bunch more. This is seriously dangerous stuff. And it is, I would say like almost everything else, guys, it is on you to do the best research so that you know what your family is eating, what they are drinking, where the food came from. And it won't always be easy. You know, we're trying to grow more food here at the house now. Uh, obviously in Florida, it's very easy to grow citrus and we've, we've got mangoes, uh, we've got lemons and limes, we've got bananas. Uh, we finally now, we have some tomatoes that are really flourishing because we've had a lot of rain here. But like do a little research on your own. We have a really intense water filtration unit, right? Like don't be so reliant on just that. I'm gonna just show up at the store. They're gonna have what I want because one day they may not have it. And the days that while they do have it, you may not know exactly what they're putting in all of that stuff. So uh, I, we will focus on this a little bit more and I'll check out that Glenn clip. Uh, Snow Baby says, do either of the boys have teeth coming in yet? Have you fed them any steak? Uh, Justin has the first lower tooth. So the uh, the grunts and the kind of, the teething sounds and all that has begun. Uh, but more importantly than even the tooth, Justin stood up yesterday for the first time. He actually, oh, I didn't tell you guys. Yeah, yesterday he pulled himself up and he's fully standing. He can't just stand like, you know, just balancing himself, but he has now pulled himself up standing. Now we, he, then yesterday he started trying to go up the stairs a little bit. So we've got gates everywhere. I mean, I'm basically living in like a max five prison over here, but it's all good. It's all good. And uh, the food ain't terrible. Uh, Joe Shepard says, uh, Michael Malice, the Willy Wonka of politics. I'm so glad that that caught on. I always call him the Willy Wonka of politics. Uh, recently released his new book, The White Pill. Have you been able to read it yet? Totally honestly, I skimmed through it a little bit, but I did interview Michael about the book. Maybe you didn't see it. Uh, we did that live at Locals, uh, what was it, uh, two months ago or so? Uh, so you can check that out. Just uh, search Ruben Report Michael Malice on uh, Rumble or Google and uh, 
a Rumble or YouTube, wherever, or it's in locals actually, and then you get it ad free and complete. So there you go. Uh, Margaret says, hey Dave, what songs and rhymes are you and David singing for Justin and Luke to spur their language development? Which of you is the more enthusiastic singer? Uh, you know, David's become quite a singer. I, I could never get, I'm always kind of like singing throughout the house when, when my guys are gone. Like I'm just kind of singing songs and you know, I'm humming a lot and all that kind of thing. David, I could never get him to sing. With the kids, he's singing all day long. He's doing a, he's got his own uh, lyrics now to Puff the Magic Dragon. He's really extended that thing. And apparently it's not about smoking weed. We also did a little Googling on that. That was a misnomer related to uh, Meet the Parents, remember? Uh, with, uh, it was a Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. Um, it has nothing to do with smoking weed, apparently. And uh, yeah. who was it that did Puff the Magic Dragon? Not the Mamas and the Papas. It was, uh, who was it? It was uh, the three. It was, uh, come on, somebody help me here. Does anyone have a computer in this room? Peter, Paul, and Mary, thank you. Apparently they weren't happy that people thought it was all about weed. Uh, but anyway, uh, I do like a lot of different, like I've been telling you guys, I do like different accents with them and I talk to them in kind of funny voices. One thing that I do that Justin loves is he'll just start making sounds like, ooh, ah, ooh. they do this like kind of babble thing. And I put my hand here and we, blah, 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 blah. we do a lot of that and yeah, you know. Candace says, uh, Dave, please start a cult. Just kidding, the preacher's voice is hilarious. I, I'm doing it. I can't stop myself. My brother-in-law and his wife got here this morning and I was like, hey, well, you got it. I was just, I can't stop doing it. It's in me now. But just that thing, that thing that they do. I mean, that kid, it's another one of those things where if the media was remotely honest, wouldn't the media be showing you that? Here was that kid, uh, what's his name? Justin Pearson. Here he was four years ago. And he's this like sort of moderate, thoughtful, interesting kid talking about both sides of the aisle. And this is why I'm getting into politics. He comes off as, uh, what was his name in uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Clayton? Who no, who's the brother? Carlton. Carlton, thank you. It's hard to remember all these freaking things. We're, under, we're like inundated by information all the time. He comes off as like more white than Carlton, if you understand the reference there. And then he's up there preaching like he's MLK. And it's like an honest media, instead of just repeating all of this stuff, would be like, what happened to this kid? Is this, is this who he really is? Like, do you see the, the grift? Do you see the act? But they, they just can't stop themselves. They cannot do journalism. Journalists who can't do journalism. Florida Man Chuck says, I see the pendulum of power acting more like a cat's cradle than anything else. I feel that what we're seeing now is the result of years of the far religious right trying to assert control. Instead of everyone just sorting out the good ideas from the bad and learning to live together, the Democrats and their woke mobs have just decided to go, uh, have decided to go just as far in the other direction. I do think we need to gain control, but I also think we need to stop things from swinging too far in the other direction if we ever have hope for a sane world again. What are your thoughts on this? You know, it's interesting because what you're talking about there is in essence, you want some blend of liberalism and conservatism, right? So you, you want conservatism, like we should conserve the old things that are good. We should know an honest assessment of history. We should understand where we came from and why these institutions were built and why we have say checks and balances and branches of government and things of that nature. And then we should be liberal in the idea that if there is a group of people, a minority group that was being treated in, in a way that was less than anyone else, we should always be trying to, to find those spaces of inequality and fill them up with equality. And that's what we've done, right? Black people were slaves, they were freed. They could then vote, women could vote. We got marriage equality, like all of these things. We've gone to every area in society and in essence made sure that 
equality was attained by all. But then instead of just closing up shop, right, around 2015, we could have been like, boy, we really did do it. We did it in America, we did it. And there's always gonna be people that are complaining about this and that, and there's always gonna be inequities in society and all that, but we basically as a society did it. We could have said, boy, good job everybody, like let's take a little break. But the activist class, and this is where I think the, the LGBT mafia really did such an incredible disservice and led us to so much of this, they couldn't let it go. So now we've gone from, let's say, the gay rights movement for 30 years, which was only about equality, marriage equality, and not having to go to bars that were literally underground speakeasies that you'd have, a, have to have a code to get in because otherwise you'd be arrested or they'd be raided or whatever. They wanted to be treated as normal people. They went from, oh, we got marriage equality, let's now move on so we should have drag queens twerking in front of kids. And unfortunately, most of us that are decent people, we don't know how to react fully to this onslaught. That's actually why I started the show today the way I did, because there are ways to do it. It's by clearly having a message, clearly going out there and accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And then, as I always say, you still have to mock these people. They're not gonna stop, but I think humor is a great way to, to stop them. I think that, I mean, that's why I was doing the accent yesterday and some of the stuff that I do on the show. It's like, if we mock them, expose them for the ridiculousness, hopefully that'll help. But yes, and also, by the way, if you remember when I finally supported Trump way back when for the last election, when was that? So that was like, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, two years ago at this point, I, I guess. Well, it was even more than that. Like it's, it's been a while now. What I kept saying was he was defending liberalism and conservatism. It was obvious how he was defending conservatism with the Supreme Court judges and things of that nature. And then he was defending liberalism because he didn't care about the social issues that much. And he was a New York City businessman. He was the chance to kind of have both and look what they did to him. Uh, Charlie says the alphabet mafia and the machine now think it is a gotcha to ask someone who has called out the woke garbage to define woke. I have my thoughts on the definition, but I was genuinely curious, how would you define it? Look, very simply, it is equity over equality. It is final outcome, equal outcome for everybody rather than equal opportunity for everybody. And then usually that's attached to a racial or sexual lens, and that's really it. That we should rejigger society based on immutable characteristics and have everyone be exactly the same at all times, as Kamala Harris said in that video the day before the election, we will all end up in the same place. Well, if you want everybody to end up in the same place, you're gonna have to kill an awful lot of people because uh, it's sort of within the human uh, spirit to go out and get yours and do the best you can. And that is why so many of the people who end up as the, the, the progressive lefties, it's why they end up miserable and it's why they look terrible and it's why they're constantly screaming and angry about everything because it is anti-human to have us all be the same. We are all unique individuals, right? The ultimate minority is the individual, Ayn Rand. And when you accept that and you go, oh, I have something uh, worthy in me somewhere and I have some autonomy over my life and I might be able to accomplish something if I go out and do it. That's the scariest thing for the people that wanna control you. And sometimes it can be the scariest thing for you yourself. But trust me, it's better than the alternative. Amy says, in your opinion, what US politician or world leader has been the biggest disappointment in the last three years? Look, the, the easy way to answer this is Biden because Biden, I should probably come up with a more creative answer for this, but, but truly it's Biden because I, 
Biden was positioned as the moderate, right? So the whole idea was, we're not gonna go bananas with Bernie, right? Pete Buttigieg turning to Bernie on the debate stage, you wanna burn it all down, I don't. So we're gonna all back Biden. And the hope, I think, for sane people is Biden will, will stem the tide on some of this crazy stuff. The reason he's been disappointing is because he has actually ushered in all of this stuff. Now, it's hard to pin that on him because he's so mentally compromised and he's obviously not uh, you know, piloting the plane, steering the ship, whatever analogy you want to use. So I can almost not even fully blame him for all of that at this point. Um, but it, it's disappointing. I, I mean, look, we saw it, right? I'm guessing you probably saw it, but that was what mainstream told us. Oh, the Democrats are going with the moderate guy. But what could be more radical than what these people have done? The Inflation Reduction Act, we will literally print money to stop inflation, which only has increased inflation. Like everything they have done has been wrong. The war, not war in Ukraine, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the bank bailouts, like every single thing that they have done is wrong. So I would say he has been the biggest disappointment. He's also been a disappointment because we all know this thing is fake and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Right. If we all just look at this and and young people see it, too. I talked to my nephew, you know, he's 13. I talked to my nephew and he's like, you know, he doesn't care about politics. But I'm like, what do you think of Biden? He's like, oh, that old guy. Like what? Like everyone knows this thing's not working and it's fake. And and by golly, I think maybe we can do a little bit better. Hint, hint. Uh, Elizabeth says, hello from Seattle. My God, woman, are you in Seattle? Are you all right? Is this a is this a call for help? Question. Are you and David on the same page politically? And if so, did you both go through a similar transition from liberal to more uh, libertarian conservative? You know, we pretty much are. We don't talk politics that much. You know, at the, at the end of the day, like I'm usually not in the mood to talk politics at all. Um, so we like to talk about house projects or like what we're doing with our lives or the kids or whatever else it might be. But we obviously do talk about politics to some extent. And he's not, you know, he also was the executive producer of the show for many, many years and, and really built so much of what we do. I'm just the guy that's on camera doing it. Um, he's now stepped out of that and is really focusing on the kids and these, these guys are doing great down there. Um, but in terms of evolution, you know, it's funny, in some ways he evolved a little bit faster than me. I remember a day, this has gotta be around 2011 or so, so probably about 12 years ago, and we were walking in New York City and we were talking about credit cards. And he had never had a credit card before. And I was telling him, you know, you should probably get a credit card because you want to build up some credit, blah, blah, blah. And he could not believe. He actually, I remember exactly where we were on Columbus in 76th. We're walking down the street. We're passing a, 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 a Dwayne Reed on the left over there, right by Sarah Betts, for those of you, which doesn't exist anymore because everything in New York City is subsequently closed. But for those of you that know the Upper West, right in Seinfeld country. And I'm telling you, you got to open up a credit card so that you can build credit because, you know, if we want to get a car or this or that, whatever, get a loan, whatever. And he really could not believe that people buy things if they don't have the money for those things. It, it was like a crazy idea for him that why would you do that? And that became like a running joke with us. And then we started talking about taxes and he's like, well, wait a minute, why am I giving the government? And I kept saying, you, you, know, you know, you're a Republican. Like it was actually a joke between the two of us. And here we are in the free state of Florida. Uh, Amy says, what is your opinion on what the priority is with woke culture and politics? Does changing our culture lead to better politics or does politics and policy drive culture? <clears throat> I'm specifically talking about woke culture, DEI, CRT, boys can be girls, etc. I feel like our attacks uh, focus on woke culture only 
uh, wait, sorry. I feel like our attacks focus on woke culture only, oh, only create more wokeness because the left fights that much harder, creating essentially more wokeness. I'd love to hear your take on this. Sorry, I butchered that a little bit. Um, you know, I think that's sort of why I was starting the show today the way I was. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons I've been trying to talk a little bit more about culture than just racehorse politics. One of the reasons that I think DeSantis is doing this so effectively is he's picking the cultural fights when they're the right ones to be picked. So the, the Disney fight was absolutely the right fight to be picked. And then Disney uh, came back basically on their knees and we got major concessions out of them here in Florida. They're, they're fighting those concessions right now and it's going to the courts. But like, trust me, Florida has won on this. And D Disney lost billions of dollars in revenue from the amount of people that canceled Disney Plus or don't want to take their kids to the parks anymore. And how hopefully, hopefully, that will eventually translate into the programming that they're putting on. So instead of woke Star Wars, they'll actually just try to make, how about, I don't know, good Star Wars, something like that. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both, right? You know, as Andrew Breitbart famously said, politics is downstream from culture. So even if you have all the right political ideas, l l let's just say you're watching this right now and you think I am right about absolutely everything and what I do here is just completely true and you get it and we're right. Everybody else is a schmuck and we're right about everything. We would still have to win some level of the culture through comedy and music and art and TV shows and everything else to, for, to get people to understand that, right? You really do have to do that because not everybody cares about politics. But when, I mean, you see this happen all the time. This is why people get red-pilled. You get these crazy lefties who are in college and the government should do this and tax the rich. And the, then they get out in the real world, right? And they get a paycheck. And you're looking at that paycheck and there's 18 different lines on that thing. You're being taxed for this and state income tax and federal income tax and this and that and the other thing. And you're going, boy, I, was, I thought I was making uh, two grand a week here. That was pretty good. Turns out I'm only walking with $758 or just whatever it might be. Suddenly they're like, boy, tell me more about that uh, libertarian stuff. And that's how you get them on the path. So I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit of culture. It's a little bit of politics. And when we can find a politician who fully gets that, and I think DeSantis is that guy, uh, then you've really got something. Uh, Lisa says, what is your biggest pet peeve? This is gonna make me sound very old. I'm starting to struggle with the loud music. <laughs> Phoenix nodded a yes, thank you, you're an old soul. You two laughed at me. I, if I'm at a bar and I'm trying to talk to somebody and the music's blasting, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what it is, I cannot concentrate. Maybe, maybe it's this thing, like it's breaking all of our brains, but I would prefer lower music. I remember when I was in second grade, I had a birthday party at United Skates of America. That's what it was called. It was in Massapequa, Long Island, United Skates of America. It was a roller skating rink and I had my birthday party there. And I remember my grandpa already, and he, he actually passed away a few weeks later. Uh, he said to me, oh no, he had earplugs in because the music was blasting. And he was telling me that the music's too loud, the music's too loud. And I remember thinking this when I was in second grade, I remember thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Old people can't hear, right? They generally listen to the TV real loud. But here I've got an old person telling me the music's too loud, but I'm a kid, I have great hearing, and I don't think the music's too loud. What's that about? It has something to do with concentration or something like that. But anyway, just lower the music. Enough already with the loud music. <laughs> Crystal says, <laughs> 
Are there any plans to speak with Alan Dershowitz again? I really enjoyed your interview with him before Biden was elected, and I'd be interested to hear from him again. I know he's been out there denouncing the people trying to take out Trump, but wondering if he still has rose-colored glasses on when it comes to Biden. Yeah, I'd be happy to have him on again. Actually, why don't we go ahead and reach out to him? Uh, you know, when I did the uh, Patrick Bed David live podcast on th last Thursday, week ago today, uh, with Rudy, Rudy and he are very good friends. Rudy is a conservative, obviously. He is a liberal in that he's an old school liberal. And Rudy made a point of saying that, you know, we've been friends for decades. We've argued about all this stuff for decades. And that's what liberals used to be able to do. Now, the irony is that Dershowitz is now hated by today's liberals. He said he can't go to the Hamptons anymore because they all hate him. Uh, and because he's gone out of his way to defend law and order. He's gone out of his way to defend due process. He's defended Trump on several things, and that's obviously the biggest no-no for the liberal establishment. So it's a damn shame that uh, that Dershowitz has been treated the way that he has. I've met him a few times. Uh, personally, he's, he's an extremely nice guy. He's obviously, I mean, a Harvard lawyer, like brilliant, brilliant mind. Interesting uh, little thing about uh, Alan Dershowitz, he said that the best student the most skilled oratory student and, and who had the best understanding of the Constitution, you know, that thing that AOC doesn't care about, that he ever had in decades of teaching at Harvard? Ted Cruz. Uh, Mitchell says, do you have any dad moments slash things you're looking forward to in the future? I mean, I, I think I answered this question once before, but I cannot wait to get these kids on the basketball court. Like, I think about it all the time. And even when Justin stood up yesterday, like suddenly I saw him in a different way. And I was like, I cannot wait to that day when I can get him out there and you know he's gonna basically dribble a ball that'll end up bouncing higher than him and we just start doing that and we'll lower the hoops and you know all, all of that stuff. Um, we also have a really cool uh, basketball hoop in the pool. So that'll be fun once we can get there, get them in there and start swimming. Actually, one of the things we're doing right now, we're getting, it's, it ain't cheap, but, but we're putting four foot glass around the entire pool because you don't obviously don't want a kid falling in there and it's a little early. We're gonna get them swim trained as soon as possible. We've been taking them in the pool a little bit so far, but obviously not. they're not doing any, any real swimming at this point. Uh, Colorado guy says, uh, why would the VP of Bud Light risk trading out 20% of their patrons that most likely make up 80% of their business? That's a great point. For a much smaller demographic, surely she and the executive leadership realize that this would not be a net gain in business for Bud Light, right? You're going to exactly why wokeism destroys everything. We played that clip of that woman yesterday. She, in essence, was embarrassed by the people. She was a wokester. She's a lefty. She was embarrassed by the frat boys that drink Bud Light. She was embarrassed by the brand that it had become. And she did not care if she was going to offend all of the people who actually buy the product because she doesn't care about the product as, as her primary motive in her position. If you are brought on to do PR for Bud Light, what you should be doing is I want as many people as possible to buy Bud Light. My own personal feelings about wokeism or trans people or anything else should have actually nothing to do with that. But these people have done something very twisted in their hierarchy, right? They put wokeism and faux diversity and all of this nonsense at the height of that. Next thing you know, you are working at Bud Light and offending all of your own customers. Your point about that 20% of the people probably bought 80% of the beer is totally right. And congratulations. Now Bud Light, Bud Light is probably irrepar irreparably ruined. Uh, it really is. You know, when we do parties here, I know I didn't buy Bud Light anyway. I try to buy as many like small brew Florida. We got Florida man beer. We got, uh, we got, what else do we got? What are the other Florida ones? There's like a bunch of Miami ones that we've bought. I know you like the Lagunitas. What else do we have? 
Winwood Brewing Company. Yeah, I try to keep it local. I, you know, I'm, I'm more of a tequila guy anyway, but, uh, but there you go. Uh, Richard says, I saw Rumble has the exclusive streaming rights to the first Republican primary debate. Where do you see locals and Rumble in the future? Yeah, so I mentioned that yesterday. It was announced yesterday morning. Uh, we actually have all of the Republican rights. YouTube will not have any of them. Uh, I will also be broadcasting live from all of the Republican debates. We're figuring out the logistics on all of that. It is gonna slightly complicate off the grid August because it looks like the first debate is in August. So I'm gonna have to figure out how we do that, but we will be there for all of them. We're gonna have a major presence at all of these things. And really imagine, I mean, really just think about this. When you take just, if I was just to take, you know, five, let's say, of the A-list guys that are on Rumble right now, you know, doing politics. So if you took me and Bongino and Steven Crowder, Glenn Greenwald, and uh, Russell Brand, let's say. Imagine the five of us on a panel after a debate. Think how much better that would be. I mean, I mean that objectively. I do not mean that subjectively. Think how much better that would be than whatever nonsense you would be seeing after a debate on MSNBC, CNN, and the rest. So we're trying to lay all the plans out on all this stuff and stay tuned. But to answer your question, uh, we have major plans. We have major, major plans. You know, the reason we wanted to go public as a company was once you go public, you have access to more funds. So we're bringing in all sorts of creators. We're going big on the hip hop community, the gamers right now. We're bringing all of these people in. Our live stream numbers on Rumble are phenomenal. Usually at the end of the day on a live stream, we have about 200,000 views. That's rivaling the roughly 200,000 that we get by the end of the day on locals, uh, sorry, on, uh, on YouTube, plus the people that are watching on locals. So it's like, it's really cooking, but we have a lot to do. It's not just replacing YouTube and it's not just replacing Amazon AWS. It's replacing Gmail. It's replacing iMessage. Like build out, this is what we want to do. Build out the suite of products so that you are not the product. The product is the product and we don't have to own all of your data and everything else. So, because the people will believe in the company. And when the people believe in the company and the product is good, the stock will rise and it will give us more incentive to build more good things. There is a way to do capitalism correctly. And it ain't by stealing your data and your soul and then selling it to the highest bidder. At least that's what I think about that. If you have not subscribed, by the way, at rumble.com slash Report, please go ahead and do that. If you want to join us for our next community Q&A, it's rubenreport.locals.com. Uh, we leave you with a spectacular cold close of Elon versus the BBC, and we will do a post-game show in 47 seconds. See you then. Give us a moment. And, and, and I'm saying... I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't see a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet. And yet you claim that the hateful content was not. What? That's a false. No, what I claimed was... What? No, no, what I claimed was... Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.